Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein and Mimi Emerald. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. And we're back. We're back with Mimi. And when people hear this podcast, it will be a new year. Um, and that's what we want to wish everyone before this, you know? Yes. Happy New Year. And um, I hope everybody had a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. And uh, what's the other one? Kwanzaa Festival. Kwanzaa, yeah, cool. what is it? Kwanzaa. Mm. There's so many holidays. Diwali? There's a Diwali. lot of yeah, holidays. There's, there's a lot. So yeah. um, just yes. to acknowledge everybody. But have a good, <laughs> happy new year. Yes. And may it be a good, healthy um, restart to your life this year. Yeah. And we got a special show today, too. We really do. Yeah, yes. I think it's special. Yes, we just finished a series on hope, practical hope, understanding hope. And I think today may be, because this is so important, the start of another uh, uh, set. We're going to look today, I'm going to start to look today, at uh, honoring and expressing our grief. The human condition. That's right. Mm. You know, I'm st we, st we are so on the front lines. And it's interesting uh, how many people now that I'm going through a rough time with taking care of Lynn in the last part of her life, how many people are coming to us and they're dealing with grief and loss. It's astounding to me. But we're dealing with it a lot. We're dealing with the need for caregiving. How to caregive. Sitting over here is one of a team of people that are caregivers that are astoundingly good. I look at them as angels. They're amazing. She's amazing. She's the head of them all, but they're all in their own right. Mimi is very actively caregiving for her mother and right Mimi's now. And Mimi is a She was on the phone Thank with you. her mother just a few minutes ago. Mimi is a caregiver. That's yeah. right. Yes. Thank you. That's right. We celebrate caregivers. We do. So we've dealt with many families uh, that are struggling with losing loved ones, but also taking care of them as they're in the last stages of their life and how important caregiving is and what we see caregivers go through mm -hmm. and the impact of the people they love mm -hmm. and the grief that they feel, even while the person's still alive. It's called... Um, Ambiguous. You know what? It doesn't matter if I have a PhD. I still can't remember <laughs> that, that word. Just doesn't stick it's with okay. you. Right it now. doesn't stick in my brain. No, I hear you on Isn't that one. Isn't that weird? But it, it. But the, the absolute experience it sticks in my mind. Yeah. Of ambiguous grief being a loss where you're feeling the loss of a person and they're still here, but yet they're drifting away because they're in the, the last stages of dying, the yeah. end of life, or the sicknesses that they're going through so you're losing them yes. your relationship is changing and and it feels like loss it, it is, is loss, a loss. Mm -hmm. yes. and maybe i mentioned earlier divorce yeah yes. and there's so many different forms of grief that we see at work Absolutely. And a lot of the time if you if you don't label it clinically 
it's they're grieving. Yeah, there's um, relationship grief, a separation from family grief. There's, I mean, there's. That's right. Yeah, there's so much grief. People who retire, retire. we've seen yeah. that as that could be a loss good of or deadly. Yeah, of purpose, a loss of purpose that in life, loss of yeah. purpose for identity. Is All yes. that has to be honored, witnessed, felt, absolutely embraced. The other, even what we've had, we have people come to us, and uh, I think there's some women that are looking at their lives and they realize that they had a, a, an expectation about what kind of relationship they're going to have, the love relationship, mm-hmm. and all that it was going to be, and they never had it. Yeah. And they're at the point in their lives they know they never will. And they're grieving, and really grieving. Absolutely. Because they realize it will never happen. Yeah. And they've had to move on from that. And it's very tough. So we're seeing that the human condition is filled with losses. Um, I've talked to someone recently, uh, no, not someone, but a number of people, and they see what I'm going through with Lynn and um, others that we're taking care of, and they say, I don't. I just hope that never happens to me. And I listen to them going, I think I said it to a lady who's 78, I forgot, the other day, we all are going to go through this. Absolutely. And she says, well, I just hope I don't have to ever face what you're facing. And I'm going... You will. Everybody has yeah, to. All of us. But you know, a lot of folks yeah. don't want to. They don't want to. They yeah. don't want to look at I don't blame them. Yeah. I'll say that. No, mm-hmm. no. But I when I hear it. it now, I'm going. It's not easy. Wow. Are they going to get, is it going to kick them hard? Yeah. Because they're in such denial that when it finally happens, yeah, it's bad enough. Yes. But these folks are so ill-equipped and unprepared. So to me, that is, you know, burying your head in the sand type of attitude. That, to me, is not the way to go. Yeah. But yet, I'll be honest with you, I hear more and more people have that attitude about it. And then I look at caregivers, and they're the opposite. They've embraced this as part of the life. It's a calling upon their lives. They embrace it. They know what to do. Mm -hmm. They have empathy and compassion and uh, abilities at that last stage. We've seen it so beautifully. Most of the time, and I know this isn't 100%, it's other cultures. They're coming from other cultures that um, have embraced this as just a part of life. They're, as a kid, they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Here in the United States, we don't embrace we it. We don't always do that. that. I'd like to read something that Go we ahead. were looking at this morning. Yeah. I think this will pertain to what you were talking Go about. And, and, and as we say, can understand yeah. how people are not looking forward to finding it very hard to have to look at this side of their life and the people that they love. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is from, this is a reading from Jewish Reflections on Death, and it's a, a section written by a woman named Deborah Lipstadt. Uh, death is a concept that exists in the dark and distant recesses of the mind. When it rears its head, it is treated in hushed and muted tones and considered to be something from which individuals, especially children, should be sheltered. Mm. It is ironic, though completely plausible, that there is an attempt to protect and thereby separate oneself from the reality, which is death. Nothing will change that reality, and all that can be accomplished is to heighten its mysterious, incomprehensible, and frightening aspects. Um, Mm. She goes on to talk about uh, her experience 
Uh, at the time of my father's death and a direct encounter with the Jewish traditions of death and mourning, I found them to be the exact antithesis, the exact opposite, of the tendency to separate oneself from reality. One is gently guided through this cataclysmic period by customs and ceremonies which provide a framework for mourning, permit grief, and place the ultimate emphasis on the cyclical nature of life. And I think this is an excellent, almost a summary, a, a good picture of where we would like to go today in our podcast. It is, and she said it, what her, what's her name? Deborah Lipstadt. Deborah Lipstadt, well, I gotta say, she, 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 she was able to put it together so beautifully and describe the, the, the kind of difficulty we're seeing Mm-hmm. with this condition of life and here she's talking about it um, and it's not just our culture it's us we personally want to not look at it and uh, it's I think all of us have that component the 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 part that we don't have is support for not doing that and mm-hmm. to face it and to and to deal with it as part of life um, and she says it beautifully yeah. she's also talking about something that I was raised in now I'm not a practicing Jew anymore. I was raised in a more observant, uh, what they call conservative orthodox background. Uh, Orthodoxy being the most rigid and the most uh, demanding with rituals. Conservative or very observant. My family was very observant. They they were between the two. They're not quite as orthodox, but my father was plenty. Uh, His father was very orthodox. Um, then they had another part of it called Reformed, and that was more clo- that was closer to Christianity. And yet these two parts of Judaism looked down upon them terribly. And they would actually ostracize parts of their family if they became Reformed Jews instead of this. I could never get my heart around anything like that, and yet I saw it happen. So there were many things I saw in my background that even as a kid I could not swallow, and I didn't. So my father and I had a lot of he had a lot of problems with me, and mm. I was in a lot of trouble not just there but on the streets. And I didn't go along with it, and yet I was uh, uh, consumed by it because it was a big part of my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, I rejected a lot of it, and yet what I'm realizing now, going through the grieving process, going through loss, helping other people go through it, is there's a part of me that is definitely. Um, that that Old Testament kind of thinking about honoring the human condition. That there is value there. It is mm-hmm. in me. Yes. And I'll be honest with you. I'm glad. I am so appreciative. Um, today I, I am a Christian. And yet what I see is a completion because I had all the Old Testament kinds of things in me first. No matter what my attitude toward was it, it's in me. And then to see that moved forward um, was such a relief for me. I felt I was, I, you know, beyond between, this is just me. I felt I was being released from prison. I swear, it felt like a freedom that came over me. That I, because I, I, I needed to see something better that was forgiving and loving, not judgmental and condemning. And it was so freeing for me to even... This is me. I started reading about Jesus. Now, with my background, that was considered treason to even talk that way. But I got very curious. And um, frankly, it was a very interesting journey for me um, that I'm very grateful for. But I know in, in me 
the Old Testament traditions had an impact on me in a good way. And the good way is that they respected the human condition and honored it and put the rituals together that really gave people a place um, to allow them to, at least to a point, to go through what they ever had to go through. They were human beings that were going through a very hard grieving period. So they would have rituals and customs and times allotted for the folks to do that. Mm -hmm. It was very intense, and yet it was very, very important. I, we're helping people today grieve at our institute when they come to us. There's a lot of it, in fact. And you know what? There's no place in our society anymore. No. That even honors. Much less than there, than there and was. And so people are confused because they're feeling all these things. It's affecting their functioning, and yet they have to go right back to work, get right back on the road, do all these things, and they're hurting. They're yeah. more than hurting. Yes, and they're feeling lost about how to... Mm. As we say, how to how to experience this, how to work it through, and how to uh, not just bury the whole thing. That's and also right. to have mm. permission. Have permission to honor what they're going and through. Grieve, yes. honor the grief itself, Absolutely. embrace the grief itself, Absolutely. So. and the space. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Today we are looking at how to honor and express our grief. And in our first segment today, we talked about the range of um, responses to loss and all of the different kinds of loss we can experience. Death of a loved one, change in a relationship, uh, loss of purpose or meaning in our life, um, divorce, retirement. Uh, and we talked about uh, how people can tend to want to avoid and deny their grief and the overwhelming emotions that come with that. Or they can become lost in it, in what we are going to call protracted grief, not be able to find their way back. And a key to, uh, an older key to, to navigate this time of life was found in many traditions, including we were talking a little specifically about the Jewish tradition uh, that would help recognize this human condition of grief and how to work through it and express it. And Mimi is telling, mm. she's and raised in a Catholic, Roman Catholic. And they Mimi is, has a family tradition there as well and, and is part of your background. Mm -hmm. I don't uh, embrace or adhere to, like you, right. um, the Roman Catholic, but it was actually a beautiful part of my journey, especially with my Nana, who passed away at 101 in year 2000. It's just, it gave a foundation of you know, what could be and how to honor our elders and how to honor grief and how to honor death and how to transition um, in, a, in a, you know, kind of a respectful way. No, not kind of, they really did give a yeah. lot of respect. If I, I'm not Catholic, but I remember in yeah. our growing up, they honored death, you know, the grief, plenty. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time, but uh, when my grandmother passed, I was 10, 
And um, seven days prior to, there was a um, mourning process. Everybody went and prayed and, you know, uh, honored the body. And I remember at 10, um, climbing up a, a ladder and kissing my grandmother goodbye. Um, and then afterwards, um, there was like a four-hour ceremony um, and mass um, at the church. And then we all went over to the burial site as well. And then there was an hour or two there. And Wasn't then afterwards... There was a wake afterwards um, for another seven days. Um, there's, there was a lot the of prayer. Of the, the viewing of the body is prior to. If it, it can be anywhere from seven to five or three days prior to what I remember. Um, it's been a really long time. Yeah. So, you know, we and everybody during that time, um, you know, wore dark clothing to honor the passing of, you know, my, my grandmother, um, her husband for a very, very, my grandfather for a very long time afterwards wore dark clothing. Um, my Nana, after my great, so my Nana's my great grandmother. Um, my Nana, after my great grandfather, who I never met, um, passed away, never wore any other color than black again. My my whole upbringing, she always had black dresses on. Were they Italian? Um, Nana's Portuguese. Portuguese. Yes. I remember uh, older Italian people. I knew that mm -hmm. where I grew up, they did yeah. that too. But you know what? Before I want to go on here, we forgot to do something. I think it's very important. Mimi wrote a book, her latest oh, yes, book. Yes, yes. And I think we should uh, at least um, bring it up again. Thank it's you. A, it's a good practical guide it's not as uh this hers is very this book she's written is very down to earth and it should be something that people have um to refer to when they're going through loss it's not about the traditions of grieving mm -hmm. as much as there the, was a section on grieving in the book but you're right there was a lot of very practical information hers too. is very practical yeah. about what to do and boy is it important yeah so thank you, you so much tell the name of the book again? um it's called death before and after a survivor's guide and why i called it a survivor's guide um, is because I walked my father to his non-existence or death. Um, and during that process, I didn't know anything. And I had to learn as I went and cross each bridge as I went. And while I was going through that, I promised myself that I would hopefully help others never have to feel as lost and confused mm -hmm. as I did while doing that with my father. Which is a very important thing because most people wait. See, this is the problem. Uh, that we're talking about, and yeah. what she did, mm -hmm. dovetails into what I'm talking about. Yes. When people mm -hmm. do not want to look at the realities of dying and death in the, in the, as part of life, mm -hmm. and then it's on top of them, yeah. it's so much worse. Yeah. And then there's the practicalities, the logistics, the things that they have to face and come to grips with fast. Absolutely. And it's there's business involved, there's, there's legal so issues involved, there's funeral arrangements, cemetery arrangements, all, all these different things. And all of a sudden, they have to deal with all of that. And if they haven't really embraced this part of that this is a condition of life, it's, mm -hmm. it's so much worse. Absolutely. So M Mimi put together a book that is so practical. I think all of hospice should have yes. uh, use it. Thank you. Because it really is helpful for people as a guideline on how to handle different parts of the loss of yeah. a loved one, um, what to do, what you're going to go through, what you need to face. Um, and I don't mean religiously. Mm -hmm. I mean practically. Logistics. Down to earth. Day you gotta by know, day. you got to know how to deal with the business of yeah. 
dying dying and grieving and let yeah. me tell you it is yeah. a, it, there is it, there is a business to it too Absolutely. unfortunately but even in yeah. the dying process today of dealing with corporations that are buying up all of these memory care facilities and elder care facilities um, they're buying hospice programs all over the country yeah um, corporations see the dollar signs opportunity opportunities Absolutely. and it, they shouldn't be part of it that's yeah. my take on it. After I've been yeah. involved with advocating for for folks that are just devastated and then having to deal with the business aspects of it, yeah. um, and the medical and whatever, and all of a sudden it comes down on them hard, and it has there's it can be extraordinarily heartless. Yeah, you're talking about denying the process. This is exploiting it. It's happening too. So there's certain realities that Mimi wrote about in her book that if people have that, it's going to be a little harder to be exploited because she writes out what you have to pay attention to what you need to do um and i, I i've been through it and i'm one of those folks that did have to learn it the hard way but i learned lots of things the hard way so for me it's bring it on i'll yeah. learn it and i'll move fast and and i've done that but it's not a pleasant process i don't yeah. like it uh, I know now with with Lynn and stuff i've made plans this time so i don't have to do it at the height of a crisis, mm -hmm. which will come. And that is so much, it's horrible. And there are people that exploit it. Yeah, I've seen it in the cemetery business, I've seen it in the mortuaries, I've seen it, um, I've seen it in the elder care uh, fac uh, facilities. That's astounding me, that they're getting away with this. Mm -hmm. But the money, I agree. the money, it's all about it's not about the person. It's about. It's all money. about the bottom line. Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. So what I look for, or the, the what I call the jewels in this process, there are people in it. Even though they work for these, they are almost angels. They're so sweet and empathetic yeah. and caring that even though they're dealing with the business of it, they the don't first lose. They don't lose sight of the the person in front of them and the the pain and, and the grief they're, they're going, going through. through. I have. I have to say. Yeah. I have had the time, because Lynn's been sick for so long now, to meet some of these incredible jewels. And I want to tell you, it's like a burden off my shoulders all of a sudden that I have somebody who really gets it. And so, yes, I have to deal with the business of it, but I'm dealing with someone who's got such empathy and genuine caring. And most of the time when I found out, they've gone through so many hard times with it personally mm -hmm. that that never goes away. So they're hard comes before the money mm -hmm. that's different yeah. mm -hmm. but they're unique in that world that's all i can tell you mm -hmm. we've been fortunate we know a, we do know a lot of jewels i call them angels too i know a lot of good people but i really seek them out when i run against up against the others it doesn't work well for me um and um, i don't like to deal with them i don't hide it too i don't want to hide it frankly mm -hmm. But the other part of it, it appalls me. It really, there's something in my deeper senses of how heartless can you be at a time like this? Yeah. The answer is plenty heartless. Um, they see it as it's just business. Mm -hmm. And you know, to me, that's a cop-out because it's, it's the business of helping people who are grieving and taking them yeah. through this and giving them uh, a help. Again, there's a mortuary uh, cemetery outfit. I shouldn't call them out. There are angels. Uh, here in Petaluma, it's called Adobe Creek. Mm, I know they about them. are such nice, good people, and I was so grateful. 
who sent me over there, paramedics uh, that I knew, uh, hospice people that I knew. Yeah. They said, check out, check out Adobe Creek. They are the kindest people. And the first time I went, it was when we thought Lynn was finished. The first time I moved, for, I was in crisis. They were so sweet to me. They went through the business. I'll never forget it. And then the owner of it, one of the owners said, you know, I think you ought to go home and just be with your wife and let yourself grieve. And we'll take care of everything else for you. Yeah. To me, that was perfect. Um, but fortunately for me, Lynn didn't pass away then. And yeah. She came out of it. But it also opened my eyes. I better lay these things out so yeah. when the time comes, yeah. and then I don't have to be so oh, under such incredible pressure. Um, so I've learned. I've been learning that now. I've helped other people. I've had other members of my family that I've had to deal with the whole thing. So this isn't the first time mm-hmm. um, yeah. I've dealt with. And the religious issues came up dealing with my uh, uh, family, and um, that was pretty heartless stuff. Not my fa- some of my family, but no. So the way that business was, I couldn't believe. And of course, it got me angry that I. What really outraged me is how could you be so heartless at a time like this? You know what the answer is? They are. That's all there is to it. It's business. Mm -hmm. So what we want to tell people is that's not the way that you have to go about dealing with this at all. Mimi's book Mm -hmm. will help them and give them a foundational support during this time. Right. And I think it's a very important book. So that they don't arrive there at that stage unprepared and and lost and confused, as you said, that you felt. And and, and Peter, you bring up something that that I want to just point out again that we were talking about uh, how the natural, not good maybe, but natural uh, problem of wanting to avoid or deny grief and the, the difficulties or getting caught in, in, a, in a very deep way. You're mentioning that there are people who can take advantage of us in our grief or there can be people who, who do not give us a place, do not uh, make it all right, give us let us feel that we have permission to feel our grief. That's the key, yeah. permission. Um, we have to give ourselves permission. First and foremost, I have to agree with that. What is that? What that we are um, a time for a break, so would it be okay, since I just brought up then a you new better topic. Just reiterate what yes. the, the topic again. I will when we come back. Yes. No, just to remind me. Oh, that not only do we have the tendency, unfortunately, to try to deny and avoid this very painful part of life, but we can have people who make us wrong for feeling it, who don't give us permission or a place to feel. Let's hold that. Okay. That's good. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We're continuing our podcast today on honoring and expressing grief. We have been talking about um, traditions, both Jewish and Catholic, uh, the ways that honor this very human condition and experience. And we talked about the unfortunate way that people who are unprepared for uh, the death of a loved one and are, can become overwhelmed with the different demands, legal, medical, uh, financial at that time, can, can be helped by our guest, Mimi Amaral's book, A Death Before and After, A Survivor's Guide. Um, 
That brought up um, something further, which is that not only, uh, unfortunately, can we have the tendency to try to avoid feeling these very difficult, painful feelings, we can, in our experience of grief, end up being around people who don't want to give us a place or permission uh, to feel them for any number of reasons. And uh, we That's wanted common. to return to that. That's common. But you know, there was in that book, there was a, a, a woman that described the process of grieving. Do you remember that? This book? Yeah. Do you want to go here now? Do you remember it? Um, I, we had the process, uh, we, there was a, another section here that talked about the, uh, the two, uh, the stages of early grief and mourning you in the Jewish tradition. There was a description. Uh, this was actually a man who wrote this. Uh, this is, this was the very beginning, uh, at death, between death and burial. And this was this man's, um, very, uh, Beautiful expression, uh, very. Um, I'm trying to think fluent. Not that's not it. It's a, it's a, it's a very powerful. Let me hear. You want to hear that? Wanna, if it's this one, cause all right. I, I want people to feel acknowledged, for it in a non-judgmental and non-clinical way, how intense grieving is, and the many forms that it takes are all so intense. Yeah. This, if this is the, if this yes. is the section, yes. this guy really put it together. This man, in very powerful language, described the very first reaction, first experience of death. Uh, this is a, a description of what might be happening between the moment of death and 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 burial. The mo- a, of a loved one. Of a loved one. Yeah. This is not when you are are rational, reasonable getting perspective back. This is the raw experience. What did it go? Could you okay. read it? Yeah. So um, he said that, that this is, uh, that there's a name for this in the Jewish tradition, this, this, this time of, of grief, and it's called an anut. Mm-hmm. He says, an anut represents the spontaneous human reaction to death. It is an outcry, a shout, a howl of grisly horror and disgust. Man responds to his defeat at the hands of death with total resignation and with an all-consuming, masochistic, self-devastating black despair. Beaten by the friend, I think he's referring to God, his prayers rejected, enveloped by a hideous darkness, forsaken and lonely, man begins to question his own human singular reality. Mm. Doubt develops quickly into a cruel conviction and doubting man turns into mocking man. At whom does man mock? At himself. He starts downgrading and denouncing himself. He dehumanizes himself. He arrives at the conclusion that man is not human. He's just a living creature like the beasts in the field. Mm. Um, let's see. If, if everything human terminates in the narrow, dark grave, why be a man at all? Why make the pretense of being the choicest of all creatures? Why be committed? Why carry on the human moral load? Oh. Uh, he goes on. Oh, good. We the reason we're reading this um, is to one thing. He, when people are going through the emotional components of grieving, um, they can mistakenly take what this man just wrote. I mean, and he's describing it, I want to say beautifully. Horror, it's a horror to go through grief. That's what people go through. I mm-hmm. mean, it's human. And it's horrible. But remember, that's a reflection of 
emotionality and hopelessness and despair and discouragement and fear and agony at the loss and everybody when they go through it if they know it's it's a very intense heart devastating experience without any perspective though that's not, no that's another not part. here not at this time that's right yeah. Yeah. so what we're saying is everybody needs to have the permission to allow themselves to go through this and it's a horrible experience but it's not permanent it's transitional and as bad as it is you're going to come out of it if you allow yourself the time to grieve and go through this yeah. that's what's so important if you don't these are the remnants that stay with you and begin to affect your outlook on life and perspective. Mm-hmm. And it's it can be pretty negative, cynical, bitter, awful. And I've yeah. seen we've helped people that have come to us um, that carry these kinds of burdens for years. And we have to help them turn it around. What we're saying is, yes, you go through this. We all have to. We do in one form or another. It's a nightmare for a period of time. And... You don't have. You shouldn't have to worry about perspective completely, but the the reflections of hopelessness are coming from your emotions. It is not coming from your feeling state. It's not really coming from any kind of broader picture of reality. Or we talked last time about the tapestries of life. Mm-hmm. This is one part, agonizing, hellish. One of the very worst parts. Worst parts. Yeah. But it's human and real. I don't even want to think about it. I get, it, it just sickens me. Yeah. Um, and yet, this is what it feels like. And physically, it can be even worse. Um, and yet, you have to know that this isn't the whole picture at all. And you got to let yourself go through it, but you can't take it literally. You that don't is stay so there. important. Yeah. Because there is hope, and there will be hope, and yeah. there will be <coughs> a better day. Yeah. I assure you of that. So, folks, when you're going through this, we want to let you need the permission to let you. It's a normal human condition, not a clinical disorder. Yes. And I emphasize that. Doctors and psychiatrists, please hear that. And I'm a man that was in the, psychi- in the psychological field for almost 50 years. I'm saying this is not a clinical condition. It's a natural human condition. It's a natural human condition, and people need to be allowed to go through yeah. this. Um, if it goes on for long, long times, then you can really hit something clinical, and that's trouble. And you've called that protracted grief. That's protracted grief. That's mm. rough. And we've treated, we've helped people. We've had that. people that, yeah. And, and and it's interesting because the person that that comes to mind most for that is someone who really did not grieve and did not allow themselves to. I'm not sure they were allowed to, uh, and so it was buried. Yeah, that's a problem, and we've seen. Yeah. I just had that recently at a funeral, and uh, a man who just lost his wife three months before hadn't shed a tear. Yeah, and uh, he was saying all these things he was finally doing for himself to improve himself. Yeah, and I asked him, "What about? How about emotionally?" And he says, "Well, I haven't. Nothing like that's come up, and I haven't even cried." And this is his wife over who he lost over many years. In fact. He slept with her in the hospital while she was dying. It wasn't a man who He ran didn't away. run away from that at all. Oh, no, yeah. he was right there with her. It's what he was running away from was what this man in this was book, this, this that agony, agony. This agony. And he was running from that. Now, can you blame him? No, no way. No. And yet, I remember saying to him, listen, you've got to do this. You've yeah. got to let yourself do this. I'll even help you. 
but you've got to do it yeah. to recover. And um, he says, well, I'm getting inklings that something may be coming up a little bit. And I said, honor that and let it come. Yeah. But you can understand why people don't. Yeah. But that kind of fear is very destructive. And they, on the other hand, you've got to also have people around who have some perspective. I would say that, that this experience could be so overwhelming and so frightening if someone felt alone. Yes. And that is part mm. of the value of the traditions that we've been talking yes. about, yes. is that, that people are not alone in this experience. That's yeah. right. But for those out there who don't have traditions um, that they embrace... Um, they can do their own ritual or their own tradition. You, you know, like myself, I don't embrace my family's religious beliefs. I am not religious, um, but I do my own rituals. And doing something that's uniquely to me very special and be mm -hmm. able to release, like with my father and at some point in the near future, my mom, um, and then jointly them, I was describing to Jenny, a ritual that I aspire to do. Um, and you mentioned that you would do it with other people. I would do it with key humans that um, know how to hold the space and that are completely non-judgmental of my spiritual practice um, and have their loving energy around me, correct? Yes. That's very important. Yes, yes. And I, I, I've always been somebody who grieved alone, and I can grieve intensely, but I was almost trained in my work. Mm -hmm. how to do it and yet no matter if I had 10 people around I'd still feel alone yeah. when, and you're in the midst of it the intensity physically and emotionally is, it could be overwhelming it is overwhelming absolutely and I'm used to it but I still say it's the most devastating it's devastating it is it feels it is devastating and I, I remember as a kid um, actually participating in these Jewish uh, they called it sitting shiva for seven days it was the scariest thing to me to see people I knew absolutely overwhelmed emotionally. And I remember a, f a beloved cousin of mine, my cousin Beverly, who's in Florida today. I'm still very close to her. She used to be my babysitter. She since I drove her crazy. But, yeah, I was a little wild. But anyway, Beverly, I remember when her dad passed away. He died, and he was very young. He was, I think he's 40. And she was devastated. I will always remember it. Yeah. And the way she came out emotionally was she'd be crying then she'd be laughing hysterically. And I remember she'd be laughing, and she was, and all of a sudden she was hysterical. And I remember she wanted to be left alone in her, in her bedroom, mm -hmm. and I could hear her. And I remember not knowing what to do to go in the comfort. I didn't, it was so overwhelming, overpowering. But you could hear the, the, the going back and forth between laughing hysterically and crying hysterically. And I remember other people having other forms of expressing it. Um, Beverly had a great impact on me. I love Beverly. Um, I also found out later that she hadn't been getting along with her father before he died. Mm. And she had an yeah. awful lot of guilt. It wasn't her fault. She didn't do anything so terrible. I think she was 16 years old. Yeah. But I remember how guilty she felt. And it made her feel just half crazed. Yeah. Very difficult. That was one. But there were lots of people around at that time in yeah. that a home, it was an apartment, a grieving, and it was coming out in all different forms. Yeah. And it was uh, devastating to a young person. I wasn't prepared for any of that. Uh, but I remember seeing it in other, at other times, too. Yeah. Um, I think allowing oneself and accepting the emotion and cathartic soul split 
pain that can come out from a loss. It could be a relationship. It could be anything where you just feel so intense and your skin is crawling and you just want to just rip yourself open and cry. I think we all hopefully can work on that and allow ourselves in certain aspects of our life to just grieve and feel it and allow it out. I know I did it just two years ago from a relationship and you know like we we're saying it's not like this time of life it's throughout our life that we grieve for different things absolutely and to accept that it's okay to just let it out without judgment towards ourselves i think it's a key that uh you absolutely. know that and needs to be a, there are different experiences of absolutely that's true yeah there's something very specific about death though Absolutely, and absolutely. I, I just uh, what you're saying is true because we see the intensity of the loss, people who are mm-hmm. grieving from different things, and it's not always death. It but isn't. I have to say, when it comes to losing a loved one, absolutely, to death, mm-hmm. there is a devastating kind of more of what that guy described. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also the um, ambiguous loss type is so intense mm-hmm. and there's also a part of us that can't believe you're it's, you're feeling this and going through all this horror and the person is still alive yeah let's, yes let's come back to that mm-hmm. all right welcome you've been listening to the survivor's guide to life on kpca petaluma 103.3 fm we'll be back after a short break Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, We are going into the final segment of our podcast today, and our topic is honoring and expressing our grief. And uh, just before our break, we were talking about, we got quite a vivid, uh, from a reading, picture of the emotional uh, agony that can Mm -hmm. come with the death of a loved one. And we were talking about how not being alone, how maybe having a, a tradition to follow mm-hmm. can help us to not deny but to feel and move through that temporary but very human experience. Right. Uh, just before the break, we mentioned that there are uh, that grief can be different for different uh, losses, including what we call ambiguous grief when the person that we are losing is actually still alive but the relationship is changing mm-hmm. in some way or and their physical condition is deteriorating they're deteriorating <coughs> um, and what you have had is is changing with yeah. them um, and I want to ask you because you uh, Peter because you went oh just before we came back and so I don't know if you want to if there's something you want to be sure we get to it, it, there is today I'm listening to this today and I'm going now I hope we don't lose anybody because you're listening to this and it sounds really horrible and difficult. I don't want I don't want you to run away because I want to offer you something that we talked about in the last episode and that's hope even through this. Yes. Um and you know I've had more people talk to me and and when they hear about what I'm going through the kind of things we're dealing with they say god I hope I never have to go through that and they I look you're kidding me everybody has to. Yes. But you know what? I'm not always in intense grief at all. 
Mm-hmm. And the the uh, the strength that's coming out of this, the mm-hmm. perspective, the purpose, the ability to help other people now mm-hmm. with a deeper sense of of empathy and humility, yeah. um, and an understanding that I didn't even have before. Clinically, sure, I've been in the field for almost fifty years. Let me tell you, never have I had the kind of empathy and understanding of my fellow human being as now. And I cherish that. Yes. What does that come out of? We call it Lynn's legacy. Mm-hmm. I'm losing my beloved wife. And mm-hmm. if you don't think I'm grieving, she was my best friend for the entire, my entire time with her, 46 years. This was my best, closest friend, true soulmate. Um, so yes, I feel it, but all the time, no. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of other things, but the understanding that I have out of it, the, the appreciation for life and the little things, I've never had that. And if I did, I lost it a long time ago because I had to go to have big things to make me feel better. You know, yeah. Going away on a lot of vacations and fast cars and fast horse, fancy horses and everything else that was, well, that was fun. But guess what? The truth of the matter is today, if I see my wife breathing, if I know that she wakes up in the morning and she can't talk almost anymore, but she can say a few words to me, which she did today. She hasn't been able to say a word to me in two this, days. This has been a good day, yes. Yeah. Today she did. That made my day. Now, when I say it made my day, not like it used to when we used to really have an active life together, very active, um, physically, sexually, intimate, everything. No, we don't have that anymore. But the littlest things mean so much to me, and not just with Lynn with other people too and I have that now yeah. um, I can accept that no I don't have to have such a big life anymore I can, as long as I can and people tell me well I could, you go away I said I don't want to leave town I got to be I want to make sure I'm here and when Lynn takes her last breath I want to be right there with her mm-hmm. um, so I'm not going any place I do take time for self care it's true but it's not these elaborate things it's very close simple things and it makes my day for a little while. So what I want to offer through all of this is a sense of purpose and meaning and hope and encouragement um, for those folks. And Mimi has much more empathy for them than I do. Mm-hmm. For the folks that are running away, who are burying their head in the sand, who don't want to be near it. Um, I know Mimi's my teacher on this, although <laughs> I'm not a good student. Because I go, where are you going? Because I'm always one of these people that engage with it because I know I'm going to come out the other side and I'm going to be stronger and better for it and more empathetic. Mm-hmm. And my purpose is going to be fuller than even before to help others. Yeah. yeah, your point is that these things, these good things, these good changes come to you because you go through the experience. Yeah. Um, yes. Knowing that you can come through it and that something good will come even if you don't know right away what it will be. Yeah. Okay, and here's the thing. As intense as the grieving process that was described today, I experience it regularly with ambiguous grief. It's intense. Yes. I know deeper down that there's hope. I know what you just said is true, Mm -hmm. that I'm going to come out of it, and this isn't going to be the end. There's going to be another day, and something good is going to come out of it eventually. Emotionally, I don't feel that way, but there's something in my mind that has perspective the whole time. I've been 
mentoring people on how to have both. To be honest with you, I've been encouraging those folks that are so consumed with grief that they need some perspective also. For others that stay so caught up in their perspective that they don't allow themselves to feel anything emotionally, I encourage them to start dealing with the emotional aspects of it. And and that's why I wanted to kind of, (coughs) I guess I could pose a question, but that's kind of why I wanted to share the experience of the relationship grief because it's it's not just death that can create this kind of grief. And I'm kind of questioning and wondering how can we make it more of a... um, table conversation in every household and hopefully you know my book will help that but I was talking with my girlfriend the other day Madi and we were discussing the loss of a friend of hers and and I said well if if we were brought into the world and we were raised in a way that explains that death is just as beautiful in life and when you lose a relationship actually allowed to grieve and honor that grief during a relationship whether it be your first crush or a divorce or whatever as we were transitioning through each period each section of our life gathering tools on how to deal with each minor grief rather than ignore it and not feel it and not acknowledge that that there are grief in all aspects of our life and along our entire journey, if we're allowed to understand that we are going to grieve throughout our lifetime, and at the end there's going to be grief of death of loved ones, maybe along the way we could pick up tools um, to help us process in a more healthy manner when a loved one dies, a wife or a husband or a father or a mother, um, by allowing the little aspects and I'm not even going to say little because sometimes when you truly love somebody it's not little when the relationship ends so I don't want to minimize that grief and I don't want to minimize death either I think grief is grief I think there are that's a spectrum of of the pain and suffering that is involved and I think by today by both of us all of us acknowledging that wow we have felt that intense intense loss but that look at us we're here trying to help everybody else as well uh, realize that yeah you have to feel that you have to walk through it but there is all different aspects and there are different perspectives and there are are the next step to integrating or accepting understanding why we had to go through that pain to expand us into um, a more expansive human to uh, help you, others as talk, well. Yeah, you've talked about that uh, often, Peter, about how uh, the experiences you've gone through uh, in your life uh, and then come through them on the other side have built your strength and confidence and your ability to take on the next challenge. Yes. And that's what I hear Mimi talking about. Yes. We're talking about people, and Mimi was part of one of those mm-hmm. conversations where we encourage people not to run away. Mm-hmm. as difficult as it is because we're building our strength and our experiences that we're going to need to draw upon when we run into the next difficulty. They're part of life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We are allowed to have joy and happiness too. Absolutely. And that's really good stuff too. But we're talking about, hey, when you're in the tough times, it's nice to be able to draw on past experience to know you came through it. Mm-hmm. You're still here. In fact, you came yeah. through it in some ways for the better. Yeah. Because now you have something more heartfelt, deeper, more empathetic, more caring, lots of different things. Um, 
So we see that there's per- coming out of it and understanding more deeply what a person is going through. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've had waitresses in town say, uh, and they, some of the, just recently said, you know, no one can understand this until they go through it themselves. And that's the truth. And you know what? They ha- are profoundly yeah. wise people. Yeah. They don't have PhDs. They don't. They're not clinicians. They're smarter. Life they're experience. More human. And mm-hmm. pure experience, wisdom from life. Yep, and that's their support to me. Absolutely. When they look to me and they know, and they know my wife, and they know her, and they know what I'm going through, they said, "You know, we 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 see what you're going through. Yeah. Anything we can do for you." Yeah. And they say, "You know," one of them said to me, "I took care of my father, and one other person in the last year, and if they both died, and my sister and I were the caregivers, no one can." understand it until they go through it as caregivers and losing precious loved ones as mm-hmm. well yeah they said it with such profound human wisdom and compassion and these are tough these ladies are at um saxes you know they're not pushovers no. this is a great restaurant anyway but they're they're strong tough bicycle bike no not bicycle motorcycle girls yeah let me tell you they have hearts as big as a room they're so compassionate and loving also very smart yeah. Really, and they're the ones that say, they look at me and they know what I'm going through, and their answer to me is, anything we can do for you and your wife, call us, and um, we'll help your team of caregivers. We'll come right over as soon as we get a break. They're wonderful, but they said no one can understand unless it, with the pain you're going through. We understand. We've been there ourselves. They are so right, and they're still here. They offer hope, encouragement and an empathetic wisdom that they could never have had if they hadn't been through it. Yeah. So there's the strength and the resilience that come out of it, and yet you know they went through incredible pain. Yeah. You know, they're the kind of people that really feel deeply. Yeah. And they went through plenty. I think sometimes we, we may, as humans, think, oh my gosh, how how am I supposed to get through this? And am I am the only one feeling this? And if your listeners, you know, I just want you to, to everybody out there to know that, gosh, we all, this is part of the human existence, is we all feel pain and sorrow and grief. Um, and there's just, I mean, you're not alone. You're never alone. And there's always, always going to be a better day. We're, we're coming to the end of our podcast. We've got another minute or so. And I wanted to give each of you a chance just to there's anything you'd like to add before we close today there is i you know i i also think about we're telling people how to be deeply compassionate i'll tell you something else there's a sensitivity about how to respond to people going through this it doesn't always mean bleeding for them and just pitying them full heart that makes them feel worse absolutely so it's funny, in the old Jewish testaments, there were these commentaries, they call rabbinical, and they tell you how to talk to someone who's grieving. It's not to hemorrhage all over them. In fact, it's to feel it out and let them give you the key about where they're at at that moment of, moment of grief. They may not want you to really get into it with them. You, they may want you to just leave them alone, just give them the space, or mm-hmm. just be yourself and... Um, not over empathize, not over pity, none of that. Absolutely. Because people are going through it. I think that's such a big subject. We could yeah. come back and talk yeah. about that. Yes, I we think 
yeah. we are not going to be able to do that justice today. Yeah. And I want to. I'm supposed to go to my. I'm supposed to go to my commercial, but I, I want to give you a moment. Yeah, I think the best thing to do in any situation, whether it's grief for a loved one who's dying or relationship or anything, if you really want to help, my suggestion would be just to say, "Is there anything you need? What can I do for yeah. you?" And then allow them to answer, or allow them to walk away and give them the space to walk away. Mm-hmm. They'll All come right. back later if they need you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. The Survivor's Guide to Life is made possible through a grant from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3 public charity that relies entirely on donations from listeners like you. If our podcast and the information we provide has benefited you or someone you care about, please think about supporting us by giving to Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment. Uh, Our website, sonomacoastsctraumatreatment.org sctraumatreatment.org We are on Facebook and Instagram. Please like and follow us. Uh, You can reach Dr. Bernstein and myself at 707-781-3335 Thank you for listening and please join us again next time. And thank you to Mimi. Thank you guys. I appreciate you guys. Happy New Year to all. Ah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year.